Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we have the honor of having Dr. Kristen Rodriguez with us. A product of growing up overseas and witnessing educational disparity as a child, Dr. Kristen Rodriguez comes to her educational perspective with an authentic appreciation for the benefits that free quality public education can provide students in the United States. To that end, Dr. Rodriguez is passionate about providing all students with a rich, rigorous, and comprehensive educational experience. Kristen Rodriguez is an experienced administrator, most recently serving as a superintendent of schools for one of the top-ranked public school districts in Massachusetts. Dr. Rodriguez has been the recipient of numerous honors, including the Anson Intercultural Research Award at Boston University. She is the co-author of the book, Universally Designed Leadership, which was published in 2016 and was ranked in the top 100 for educational administration on Amazon. Kristen has presented nationally on leadership and learning for the past 15 years. She is an adjunct professor in educational leadership and the founder and chief executive officer for the Rodriguez Educational Consulting Agency where she specializes her consulting in the application of universal design for learning in the field of educational leadership. So stay connected to her work on Twitter at hashtag UDLead. So welcome, Dr. Kristen Rodriguez. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Great. So we're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Oh, excited. Yes. Okay, great. So Kristen, can you share a bit about your leadership journey? Sure. I had a pretty traditional path to leadership. I knew fairly early on that I wanted to be an administrator. So about three years into teaching, I went back and did a residency for leadership, went into administration right then and moved my way up through different positions, both as building level administrator up through central office. I found that by doing that, it helped relate to my work as a superintendent in that I completely understood the scope of people's work and it allowed me to appreciate what they did, but also be very sensitive about adding to their work. So my mantra always was, if we're adding to your plate, what are we going to take off of it? Building and understanding the work that everyone does in a district. I think that's rather smart. Thanks. You know, truthfully, if you don't do it, you don't understand and you don't know. And so I figured I'm going to try to do as much as I can on the mm-hmm. way up. And it really does provide you a, a wonderful appreciation for what your colleagues do every day. Now, you said you started off as a teacher and then you went into a residency. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I, I know in Long Island, we don't do that. We have internships. 
Oh, sure. So in my uh, PhD program at Boston College, they require a full year residency, Mm -hmm. which means you have to go to school full time. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I uh, was able to do in my residency was uh, work in the pre-practicum office, which is the student teacher's office. And I supervised student teachers and placements across our state. So the residency was just going to school full time as well as supporting uh, student teachers in their work. But the good thing about that actually was I was a high school teacher. So Mm -hmm. after I did my uh, practicum supervision, I realized I actually wanted to be an administrator at the elementary level as I got into more elementary schools, which is another thing about my leadership path that I didn't talk about, but I think it's important. And that is that I've worked pre-K all the way through 12 Mm -hmm. in different roles. And I think as a central office administrator, again, that offers a wealth of understanding for the different stages of the work that happens in our district. Yeah, that is pretty important because you have that perspective on all sides as a superintendent. That's great. Okay, so Kristen, how would you describe your leadership style? I think for me, uh, my leadership style is collaborative for sure. Mm-hmm. I believe one of the biggest functions of leadership uh, really is to build a strong and capable team. Mm-hmm. And so I like to work collaboratively with that strength. We do try to strive as a team to be servant leaders, resource to staff, not just someone coming down and giving work to do, but seen as a facilitator for the change that we're expecting in the district. And I think in practice, as much as I can, I try to be a universally designed leader. And what does that mean? So universal design for learning is an educational framework. It's actually based on cognitive neuroscience. It comes out of Harvard University. And it really looks at developing a platform to provide flexible learning environments Mm -hmm. so that all students and what we found is adults can learn. So just to break it down a little bit, there's three networks in the brain that come into play when you universally design. You've got the recognition network, and that's how we gather facts, categorize them, et cetera. You've got the strategic network, which is around planning and performing tasks and how we organize and express our ideas. Mm-hmm. And you've got the effective network, which is how we stay engaged and motivated. And so this is a platform for use in the classroom. But what I've done recently in my research is apply that to adult learning and administration. And so I really found that that's enhanced my leadership style is making sure I'm thoughtful about when I plan the work I do to think about all three networks in the brain. Now, do you teach or do you train your leadership staff to do the same thing? I do. So what I did recently was we created a three credit course. We did a collaboration with a local university mm-hmm. and we made it a credit bearing course. And I asked my leadership team if they were interested in doing it individually or all together. And mm-hmm. every single person asked to participate on my whole team for my district. And so I taught this three credit course this past fall. And uh, what we did was we opened it up to some area districts that were also really interested. And I think that just kind of grew our network of thinking around the application of this kind of learning. And so what was exciting for me was to, when I went in and observed and supported our administrators, it was great to actually see them implement what they had learned in the class. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into a different question because we're talking about building teams. What does it mean for you to have a good team and how would you build one? For me, a high and performing collaborative team is Mm -hmm. absolutely essential to district growth. Mm -hmm. So I see building a strong team as one of the most vital tasks that I do as an administrator. And I literally refuse to settle for anything other than a superstar. And that's actually how I advertise looking for superstars. Really? Uh, 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, recently, I just left my uh, role as superintendent to take on more time for consulting. But I had, and I'll say this to everybody, the best team in the country. And that was effort bearing. You know, we had to go out and find some real superstars. I look for capacity, uh, even more than experience in some aspects. And chemistry is really integral. And so making a collaborative process with the team in terms of our hiring for administrators is very important. And again, when you have that good, strong uh, working team that has the same vision for the district, that's collaborative, that works together, they're all so good. Uh, They feed off each other. I just think great things can happen. Now, you say you look for capacity, and what was the other one? Was it character? Chemistry. Mm -hmm. Chemistry, capacity. I think that's really key because oftentimes we hire for skills and we fire because of character. You know, if you've been in this job for a few years, you've lived that, right? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that is just something that's manifested out of practice is looking at, well, they might not have done this particular job before, so they don't have that experience, but they have the capacity to grow into that. If we support them, uh, they'll be quite successful in the role. And that's worked out for me in my supervision. That's wise. All right. So which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Actually, this is probably a very surprising quote for administrators, but I've recently been inspired by a quote from Ariana Huffington. I don't know if you saw in the news recently that France did a bold move to limit email use outside of work hours. And so I've been thinking about this. I've been uh, researching this aspect a little bit. And Ariana had a quote that said, if we cannot disconnect, we cannot lead. Creating the culture of burnout is opposite to creating a culture of sustainable creativity. Wow. I love that. I was so inspired by it. I think if we let our work consume us, too many leaders that are amazing are getting burnt out and it's time to take a breath. It's time to reflect on it and spend some real energy on positive work-life balance. And I really believe that exhaustion is detrimental to sustainability and innovation. Yes. Let's kind of park here a little bit. To disconnect, how have you considered how to help others disconnect? Because it's so much a part of our culture. A couple of ways. One, I haven't figured it all out yet. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's an area that I want to continue to research. I really haven't spoken to any great leaders that I think have themselves figured it out. We all talk about how we don't have good work-life balance. But when I see it getting to my team to the degree that it affects their ability to do what they need to do, we stop, we reflect, we have conversations. So uh, last year in a leadership team meeting, I said, I never give a dictate. I never do a requirement, but I'm requiring for the next week that you absolutely do not go on work email when you get home. Oh, that's different. And I said, I will actually be concerned and upset if you do that. And so what we did was we looked at our schedules, we built in time in our schedules to answer those kinds of work emails. Obviously, if it's an emergency, people have phones and that's how people get in touch with them for emergency. So I said, it's not an emergency to respond to an email at eight or nine at night. It's what we become accustomed to. And so some of us failed at (laughs) (laughs) uh, answering those, but the exercise was that it's okay to do that. And we 
should work within a workday and we shouldn't always be expected. And I think them having their superintendent, their supervisor say that, it was very meaningful. And we recognize and realize that, you know, we really need to start finding ways to attract the best and the brightest. So one of the other things that I did as a technique to address this is I worked with our school committee on the uh, language for posting of some of the central office positions that they approve or hire. So our director of business and finance And we put in language in there around flexibility and flexible scheduling, which was unique to our area. And the intent behind that is that we offer some opportunity for our administrators to have some flexibility in their schedule where appropriate so they can manage both their work and life because, you know, there's so often that we're at night meetings or other obligations, yet uh, during the day, they're always at work. And so it's really difficult for them to find that balance. And then other times when I was superintendent, I met every month uh, with principals just to be a support to them. It was their meeting. They held the agenda. It was just me getting in there. And when I found through our conversation that they were really struggling with that, we sat down and we tried to come up with some techniques and strategies to allow them to kind of manage that work-life balance. But it was a topic that we explored. You know, I expected you to say that when you ran the meeting, you gave a directive that all cell phones turn off. But instead, what you did is awesome because I imagine your team feels very valued by you. I see how much you really appreciate and care for the employees, for your administrators, for your leaders, because your go-to, your first thing was don't turn on your work email when you get home, as opposed to don't turn on your home email when you get to work, (laughs) which is typically how we think. Yes. And I think, you know, that's, again, the faith and trust that I have in my team and the staff. They are so profound and they are so good that I don't need to go to something like that. And I know that if they are checking their phones or their computers during a meeting, that it's purposeful and thoughtful. I always say if you run an engaging, inclusive meeting, no one's going to want to spend some time checking email, whether it's personal or work, they're going to be engaged in the activities. And we really tried to, again, universally design those meetings so that they were really engaging for the faculty. And and truthfully, I didn't find that I would even need to have that conversation, even if it wasn't for the stellar team, because we were thoughtful about the planning of that meeting. Great. And you laid that foundation. You're trusting them. That's wonderful. So Kristen, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I've had so many really amazing mentors throughout the years. You know, my father actually was a former international superintendent, and uh, he's always been a mentor of mine. And I had these two fabulous women superintendents when I was an administrator, both as a building principal and as a curriculum director. And these two women really served as role models for what superintendency can look like successfully. And I think all three of them had a few things in common, really. Mm-hmm. One is that they really understood the importance of their role. They took it seriously. They dedicated themselves to the work. They were all three extremely hardworking. And all of them understood why we do the work, and that is to keep kids at the center of the work. It was always a mantra for all three of them. If we do this for kids, you know, we know that there are implications sometimes for adults, but we're doing this for kids. And so how can we support the adults to feel comfortable with what we need to do? Mm-hmm. And really, all three respected educators. I think it's so important that leaders openly and actively demonstrate respect for the teachers and the staff in the district, uh, that they feel respected, they feel valued, they are professionals, we need to treat them as such. And uh, those were lessons that I was inspired by by all three of these people. Mm -hmm. 
So what's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, goodness. I think the best advice I never took, which was, uh, (laughs) you know, it's okay not to do everything, to be everywhere, to say yes to everything. Some of the people that I've been inspired by really did not feel an obligation to do everything in all. They prioritized and they uh, valued, again, they valued their team to get things done. And so that is, in all honesty, the understanding acceptance that if you have a good team, you don't have to do everything is why I spend so much time building that team. And so I think that was advice that I did listen to, which was get a good group of people around you. Someone once told me this, and I believe it, you know, your team, they should all be smarter than you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, and surround yourself with people that have different opinions than you. Um, So you don't all have everyone saying yes and create this kind of culture around you. Those aren't things that I just came up with. Those were things that I was given as active advice, primarily by those three administrators uh, that I told you uh, served as mentors to me throughout the years. Okay, thank you for that. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Um, I think it's similar to what I had talked about earlier, which is that I struggle saying no. You know, not only will I not say no if someone asks me to do something, but I have this problem where I'm at a meeting and I'm constantly raising my hand and offering to do things. <laughs> I necessarily do that. You know, so I think this is a common trait in a lot of us leaders. We want to model everything. So all the tasks take a really long time. When I write up an evaluation write up, I mean, it's like, you know, hours because I want to model it and show them what, right. you know, a really good, strong one looks like. I go to every event. I respond immediately immediately to every email. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that that's always sustainable. And so that's really what drove me to start to think about the importance of striking a better work-life balance. And again, I'm looking for those strategies. What I'd really like to do is research some strategies and then share it because I haven't really found anybody that has been able to do it in our role. The work-life balance? The work-life balance, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a question that I ask. And most crash and burn here. Although you've got something there. So let me ask you a question. You were talking a little bit about how you struggle with this. And that was one of your challenges. Have you experienced burnout? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, it, I'm my worst enemy. And that's why I am I try to give advice to my colleagues to not always volunteer themselves for every task or to do every event and to go and to really be thoughtful and better about that. So yeah, absolutely. I think that that has happened in my life. And then a lot of us are parents as well. You know, I'm a wife as well. And so you're really going on two, three hours of sleep. I constantly was getting harassed by my colleagues who say, we never see you eat. You know, what are you doing? Emailing me at 2 a.m. And they know that they I would never expect them to return the email, but like, why are you up at 2 a.m. emailing? And that's because I had all the other stuff I had to do first, you know, and prioritizing those things. And yeah, I haven't figured that out uh, necessarily well. Well, Kristen, I'm inspired by you. You're a great leader, but we need to have you around, right? Uh, To be honest with you, I left the superintendency recently to do full-time work in supporting multiple districts, not just one. And I think having some flexibility in my schedule and some creativity with the consulting will allow for that. Although I am getting, unfortunately, back into the realm of too many things and projects because I'm saying yes to everything. So again, I'm going to start to listen, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I interviewed Brian Paul Buckley. He's wonderful. He's really hit rock bottom as far as burnout. So he's experienced this and he gives really good advice about maintaining energy and how important it is. He gives us really good tips on sleep. So I encourage you to listen to that podcast and and connect with him. He's wonderful. He's great. Um, So tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you. For me, 
if I was to think of one success that I can share, it's the one that gives me goosebumps, which is our success at closing the achievement gap with our special education students in uh, my recent district. So just to put a little context around that, back in 2014, when I was hired there, uh, we have something called the Annual Pupil Performance Index for students. And it's a statewide index around can we narrow proficiency gaps? What is their growth in core subject areas? And also takes into consideration things like graduation and dropout rates. Mm -hmm. And so it's on a scale of up to, I believe, 99 in terms of the annual PPI. And our students with disabilities was at 42. Just to put some comparison to that, all students in our district was 89. So that's a really significant gap between the PPI of our students with disabilities in all students. So that really was the catalyst for us focusing on universal design for learning, that aspect of that framework I spoke about earlier. I am just giddy about it because as a result, uh, quite literally just two years later, so our spring 2016 results. So just to put, again, some context around it for people that are not from Massachusetts, a level one is the highest level you can be at. It goes from level one to level five. And a level one PPI is 75. So this past spring, our students with disabilities was 79. So it went from 42 to 79. So that's really... So it went from what number? From a four to a one? Well, it doesn't work quite like that. Those are your levels. So that's like our overall accountability level. So it probably still would have been in a level two designation because anything under that is the lowest 20% in the state. And I come from a very high performing district. Mm -hmm. So we were still in level two, but the actual number itself, that index number was really bad. It was something that kept me up at night. So then we looked and we said, okay, the whole state went up in terms of the students with disabilities. And what we found is in the same two year span, the state average for students with disabilities actually went down. Hmm. It went from 50 to 46 during the same two year time. So our district went from eight points below the state average to 33 above it in two years. Using universal design for learning, but really focusing on that, making that a priority of our budgeting, making it a priority of our professional development, of our curriculum choices, of our instructional techniques. It was a really big, thoughtful, comprehensive effort, but it worked so much quicker than we thought it was going to work. And so that alone made it easier for me to leave and do more consulting when I realized that they were on track with that because it had been a growing achievement gap over years. It was disproportionate to how we performed on every other area. That was exciting. And I was able to facilitate this huge district effort. The whole community got involved and our students are better for it. So that's exciting. You know, Kristen, I have goosebumps too. <laughs> I'm a special ed teacher. So I I can relate to this. Thank you so much for sharing that. I just wanted to say that I know people aren't always so happy to speak about statewide measures, but we also saw increased in student performance with our students with disabilities on all measures. So our Fontes and Pinnell, which is our reading index measure, mm-hmm. and our students with disabilities did better on other exams like AP and SAT, actually surpassing statewide averages on some tests. So we were really proud of them. Okay, so now our listeners have goosebumps. <laughs> All right. So, Kristen, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? You know, it's such a hard, it's a real thing. It's a true thing. If you don't have a strong culture, it affects morale. It affects performance. I would say it's their responsibility to facilitate and build a culture that they believe in. Mm-hmm. And I think that begins by creating a shared vision. So not their understanding of what a strong culture is, but collaboratively deciding as a school or as a district, what is a strong, successful, productive climate and culture. And then from that, decide what strategies you want to undertake to get there. For me, investment into culture and climate pays huge dividends. 
Mm-hmm. And how would you do that? Give me some concrete examples or advice on how would yeah. I create that kind of culture? A couple of things, mm-hmm. big things. So sometimes we do things like, okay, we'll have like a, you know, little cart of treats that we bring around just to make everyone's day. Or we put little notes in their box and tell them how much they're appreciated. And all of that stuff is nice and fun and good. And I also think it's also very important. Mm-hmm. But to me, I haven't seen a strong working climate and culture where that alone really made any kind of a difference. I mean, it's nice. The advice I would give to a new leader is get the staff involved in decision-making processes. So we're we used to, as a district, have, you know, the assistant superintendent was in charge of professional development. It was great, but they weren't really invested in the process. And so when we first came just a couple of years ago to my most recent district, I want to say it was like 9% approval rating for PD from our staff. I mean, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And through putting together a committee of staff and administrators working together, creating a model that worked for everybody, overall satisfaction went up to 80% in two years, from 9% to 80%. And certain aspects where it was teacher-led were something around the area of 98% satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So there's really great investment when they participate. I've seen the same thing in other districts. We were really struggling when the aspects of Race to the Top came out a few years ago. We all had all this new evaluation stuff and curriculum initiatives and had to purchase new materials to align with the new standards. It all came so quickly. And our elementary teachers were really struggling. My gosh, we have new standards for ELA. We have new standards for math. We have new ed eval. They were very overwhelmed. And I always felt like I'd start an initiative, then have to backtrack it and kind of smooth things over until I got smart and said, why am I in isolation trying to implement these things and started forming these wonderful, authentic committees of staff? And all of that dissipated when they were part of it from the planning all up. They were able to understand the impact of the decisions we were making and get ahead of that in terms of creating bridges to the new things we were thinking we needed to do and implement. Mm-hmm. So again, I think that's the most powerful thing in creating a climate and culture is getting them involved in authentic decision making. I'm going to push back a little bit here. What if your supervisor or the person who leads you is not supportive? What if that person has created this culture that's unhealthy, but you come in as a new administrator? And I'm bringing this up because it happens often. Yeah. So let's say, for example, a new assistant principal comes in and there's a culture where it's not a good working climate and culture. Again, I would think that as a colleague, you need to build the kind of respect and trust with your supervisor to have those kinds of really difficult conversations to say, I'm hearing a lot about dissatisfaction in the school. How can I help? How can I support this school in improving the climate and culture? I mean, very rarely is it such a toxic culture and the person's not aware of it. They just might not have the ability or capacity to get there. But if you have a good trusting relationship, you have to be able to be that person for your supervisor. If you let's say assistant principal to principal, no one else is telling them. So you got to be there and you got to have those conversations with them. And again, that's an aspect of when I say you have a really strong, good, thoughtful team. If that person hired you, they know that that's something that, you know, you have a capacity and support to help them with. And if that sours the relationship, that's not, you know, potentially a relationship you want to be in. You might want to think it's not such a good fit. To me, there's nothing wrong with things being wrong. It's the growth mindset that's huge and important. And if there's no ability to say mistakes happen and errors are made or things aren't perfect and there's no ability to grow, I personally wouldn't want to work in that environment. Right. I love that you encourage others to have difficult conversations. And that's a skill. 
That's something that, you know, we need to learn to be authentic, to bring things up in a way that won't get people to be defensive. Thank you so much for that advice. Now, Kristen, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? You know, I think if you're an educator, it just comes with the course that we love to learn. Uh, we like to be around learning environments. And so I think it's really important that we as administrators have two paths of learning. One is what are our staff learning about and make sure that we're walking down that same path with them so that we know what they're doing so we can support them. But I also think it's important for administrators to get their own specific specialized support in their professional growth. Right now, what I've been focusing on, as I've talked to you about, is universal design for leadership as applied to our practice as administrators. I've really been focusing a lot in thinking about what are effective models for meeting the behavioral, social, emotional needs of our kiddos. I think that that's something that's starting to really pick up steam, but not a lot of us have spent as much time on that as we have about, for example, content or pedagogy. And I also, as I mentioned, I want to spend a little more time thinking about finding strategies for colleagues and myself about that work-life balance issue. Okay, great. Now, what have you read recently that our listeners should read and why? So I'm going to totally plug my new book. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I might as well. So I'll tell you that and then I'll tell you what I'm reading. So if you are interested in what UDL is, my book is called Universally Designed Leadership, uh, Applying UDL to Systems and Schools. And it's kind of a, a UDL 101 for administrators. So you can purchase it on Amazon or really any Barnes and Noble, anything online, you can find it. But what I've been really relying on over the past couple of years are three books. And so when I say rely on them, that means, you know, not only have we read them, we do book studies in our leadership team. We do one where we all choose a book and invest energy in it. And then sometimes we have side book groups that we do. And so two of the books that we've spent a lot of time with recently are Carol Dweck's Mindset, which is when I talked about growth mindset, that's really important to us as a district. And the other is Stone and Heen, and it's called Thanks for the Feedback. And again, it's very helpful in having difficult conversations, but it's also really understanding what our triggers are. Uh, mm -hmm. So we did a lot of work over the past couple of years as we went into this new eval model, like how do you have a difficult conversation? You know, we did role play, we learned some strategies, but what we didn't spend a lot of time on, which I think thanks for the feedback does for us, which is how do we receive feedback? Mm -hmm. What are our triggers and how do we manage that? And then how do we start to reflect on what other people's triggers might be and really make sure we package our feedback to them in effective ways. Okay, great. Now, you mentioned your book. Can you tell us again where we can purchase it? Sure. So it's called uh, Universally Designed Leadership, Applying UDL to Systems in Schools. I'm co-authoring that with Katie Novak. She's the author of three other books on UDL. You can find it at Amazon. You can find it any online, um, Barnes & Noble. Our publisher is CAST, the Center for Applied Special Technologies. They are the original creators of Universal Design for Learning. And go to CAST Publishing and you can get some nice discounts on that website as well. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Now, Kristen, tell us what you do on a daily basis to set your mind, because you have a lot going through that beautiful <laughs> mind of yours. <laughs> so how do you set yourself in the morning? When I was acting superintendent, I just 
scheduled it so that I'd be in classrooms at least once a week. I couldn't do it daily, but at least once a week. It was absolutely, people say, oh, that's so nice of you to visit. I said, nice for me. I, you know, I just needed that kid fix. I needed to be around the students. I needed to be around the wonderful educators that were teaching our kids. And that helped me keep my mind focused on what the importance of my role was, making sure that they could do what they needed to do in those classrooms. And similarly, as a consultant, what I've been really trying to do is meet with educators and stop and listen, just like you're doing right now, asking those questions and listen. I find that inspiring. Mm -hmm. So you're a consultant currently, correct? Correct. Do you coach and do you have a coach? In Massachusetts, there's a a program for superintendents and it's a three-year support program for new superintendents. And the intent behind that is that they're not mentors, but they're coaches. And so there's a different kind of feedback you might give where, you know, a coach is always expected to give authentic feedback. And we did a study of mastery-oriented feedback, which is also a component of UDL. And the concept behind that is you have three kinds of ways of giving feedback. This goes back to Stone and Heen's thanks for the feedback, right? So you have the kind that's praise and that's good and we want to feel good about ourselves. And so we'll continue doing what you say we do well. And then there's evaluatory feedback. And sometimes we have to tell ourselves and our staff where they're at in relationship to the standards and our expectations, right? That's a very important aspect. But the coaching is where we learn. Mm-hmm. And so that is, I think, a little bit about why we can push back at each other as a leadership team. We had that background and we learned together the effectiveness of mastery-oriented feedback to ourselves and to one another. So we solicit it. We are comfortable with it. And so those are some of the techniques that I do take into my work when I do coach and I do support mentor programs. I do a lot of training of admin teams. My focus lately has been around this concept of UDL and how can they apply it to their own practice. But there's also general leadership practices that I support as well. Right. Okay. So Kristen, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I would say just enjoy the ride. Just take a moment, understand how uh, lucky I was to work with the people that I work with. And for those that I no longer see, I miss them dearly. And so I would say to my younger self, just appreciate every day and those people that you had in your life. Luckily, technology keeps us connected still, but I don't get to see them every day. So are you enjoying the ride now? I think I absolutely am. I mean, at the stage of my life where I've been around this a little bit longer, right, right. I think I absolutely do. And and I think you understand what you need and want a little bit as you get older. And so I surround my environment, my work environment, and the people I work with around like-minded people. And that doesn't mean we always agree or we're doing the same thing. It's just that quality of person that I like to be around and I allow myself more energy with those people than I would have in the past. Okay, great. Now, is there anything that we haven't addressed that you would like to share with our listeners? I would just say uh, thank you, because I think podcasts like this are wonderful. We're sharing our leadership practices. We're reflecting. You know, I haven't taken the time always to reflect, and having your ability to ask those questions is wonderful. You provide a great platform. So thank you to you. Oh, uh, you're welcome. I'm having such a great time. I'm getting coached, you know, every week by amazing people. So it's not completely selfless. Well, I have to learn from this because I'm going back to all your previous podcasts, and, and I am learning too. So thank you for, again, thank you for doing this. Yes. Okay. So Kristen, if one of our listeners wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? 
There's a couple of ways that they can get in touch with me. One is my email address, which is Dr. Dr. Period, Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-A-N-R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z at gmail.com. And another way is on Twitter. My handle is at Dr. Underscore Rodriguez 21. And if they're interested in uh, getting in touch with me for consulting purposes, I do have a website. It's a bit lengthy. It's all one word, all lowercase, Rodriguez Educational Consulting Agency dot WordPress dot com. Okay, so Kristen, we've come to the end and I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. Again, thank you so much for having me. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to masterleadership.org to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of the exceptional leaders that are featured on this podcast. Until next time, bye.